Folks, welcome back to the Clemson Podcast. It is Wednesday, November 30th at about 6.04 p.m. out here on the West Coast. And at this hour, Will Muschamp is busy breaking down film of Clemson's senior tribute. Wait till next year is officially back as the most uttered phrase in a Gamecock postgame news conference. And as Tully would say, life is good. Ben and Cody here with you today, folks, to recap Clemson's latest epic beatdown of Little Brother down there in Columbia with their 50-67 victory over the South Carolina Gamecocks this past Saturday. Cody, let's first talk about our initial thoughts and our feelings from the game. You actually took in this one from the comfort of your bedroom because you were watching my dog. Uh, I hope that didn't temper your excitement during and after the victory. Um, Were you exuberant as the rest of us were throughout? Yeah, no, absolutely. It was... You know, going in, I, I wasn't, uh, as you know, I'm not as impassioned with the rivalry, even though I grew up in Greenville and I'm a, you know, born and bred South Carolina, I understood the rivalry going up, but it really, it didn't really hit home until we were beating them. And it, you could see how much it meant to the players, how much it meant to Dabo. And even in the, pr- in the post-game uh, press conferences, the game meant a lot. And I guess just by their body of work this year, they, and they've had a better year than expected, but they're not a good team. Um, it was just a a stumbling block at, 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 in, kind of a, in kind of a best-case scenario. So um, didn't mean a lot going in, but after the fact, it, it feels great. And uh, if, more than anything, I think it just feels great to be playing really at a, at a really high level this time of year. What, well, let me ask you, yeah. what were your take? Because you were at the game. Um, yeah, so actually it was my first time back in Clemson since, uh, I believe, 2009. And obviously, my first game at, uh, at Death Valley since there since then. So the purpose of this trip, I really wanted to get back and see a game. I had circled the South Carolina game on the calendar, knowing it would be a home game this year. I want to get my fiance back for her first game in Death Valley. Um, she's been a, a great sport out here in San Francisco, going to to most of the games at our alumni bar, uh, becoming good friends um, uh, with many people in our alumni group. Um, so it was good to get her there. Good to show her the, the campus. Good for me to see the campus because I haven't been there obviously in a while and there's a lot of new construction, a lot of interesting things going on in Clemson. Um, she got to meet some of my family, my uncle and aunt, uh, live, uh, on Lake Joe Cassie up there. So it was a, it was a really good time. You know, I, I, I forget how much, much I miss it. Um, I'm happy where I am in San Francisco, but I would really love to get back. Uh, to Clemson more often. It really is just such a, a wonderful place. Um, so yeah, the day started, drove up there the day after Thanksgiving from Charleston. I spent uh, the uh, Thanksgiving in Charleston with my family. We got to Clemson. Uh, first thing we did, went to the SO Club, as my uncle would say, to get some uh, warm beer, mediocre food, and slow service. Um, but uh, Sarah, my fiance, her first time being there, had to get her to the SO Club. Uh, then walked around campus a little bit. Uh, not a lot of students there. Got to see the new uh, addition to the architecture building. That was pretty cool, My, uh, me having graduated there with an architecture degree. Uh, then actually got to take in a basketball game that night uh, against High Point. Got to see the new little John Coliseum, only the second game there. So that was pretty cool. And then obviously the tailgating and all the fanfare that goes around that on Saturday and then taking in the game itself. 
And I have to say, I was there for the 63-17 to game in Columbia back in 2003, and that was quite an epic moment for me. And I think for a lot of Clemson fans, not only if you were there, but just watching the game and know what that game meant. Um, sitting in the stands, watching this beatdown go on just brought back fond memories of that. And it really, it really takes the sting off. Uh, finally, of that five-year streak. Yeah, I know going to the national title game last year helped erase that because what does it really matter um, if they beat us five years in a row a few years ago if you're going to play for national championships now. But really, this beatdown, it was huge. Um, and it was, it was quite a special moment. And not to compare it to the 63-17, but would you say it's that those teams are more evenly matched in this game. It was pretty. It was pretty evident from the beginning. This was not an evenly matched game, and it could have been eighty to to nothing or eighty to seven if, if Clemson would have really put their foot on the gas. No, and that's a good question because you know I've asked myself this, and I was asking myself this. I actually asked myself before the game, what would it take to uh, for this game to surpass the 63-17 game because I knew going in that Clemson was a far superior team than South Carolina and it being at home, uh, this team kind of coming back from that loss against, against Pitt and all the trash talk coming out of South Carolina during the week, that this really had, uh, we really had the opportunity here to have a huge blowout. So I asked myself before the game, I asked myself during the game at halftime when it was 35 to nothing, what was it going to take uh, to, for it to surpass 63-17? So to ask myself the question, does it does it beat that? I would say yes and no. It's kind of two different stories. You know, sixty three seventeen was in their house, and if my memory serves me correctly, I think we were actually an underdog in that game. It was actually two fairly evenly matched teams. Um, whereas in this game, we came in. I think the line was like twenty three points or something like that, and you know, there was no reason why that game should have been close. Why we should have come? You know, there was no reason why we should have lost that game. We should by all accounts, should, should have dominated this one. Um, you know, 63-17 was special uh, for the sight of Carolina fans and their early exodus from the stadium at halftime and into the third quarter. I mean, I remember by the end of that game, there was uh, a bunch of scattered orange, and that was about it in the stands. Um, 63 points, that's the highest po- point total ever scored in this rivalry. Um, not to mention, that score just rolls off the tongue very nicely. Uh, but 56-7, man, largest victory since 1900. It, and again, it heals the wounds of that streak. It shows how vastly inferior South Carolina is to this Clemson program right now. You know, time will tell. 63-17 seems like it was yesterday, even though it happened 13 years ago. Uh, but give it a few years. Let's see how Clemson finishes off the season. But 56-7 uh, could be the new 63-17 for sure. Well, and I would, I would advise against looking at this game as a benchmark of saying we are currently – X amount of points or 50 or 60 amount of points better than South Carolina and it's going to take a certain amount of time for them to close the gap because if you remember just last year I think Clemson was you know as good or maybe a little better a little worse South Carolina was even worse last year and that was a five-point game so I, I think any given year home field advantage things could go uh, drastically one way or the other well, and, but, and I, I, I understand yeah. that but I, I will say that that five-point win last year was not as close as the score indicates. We had a pretty good hold on that game for most of it. They got a late touchdown to pull it within five. And honestly, you know, that Carolina team from last year could have been a more talented team. You know, Spurrier just lost that team earlier in the year, and once he left, it was just all downhill from there. Yes, they've exceeded expectations this year, but 
they played a really weak schedule, and their marquee win against Tennessee is against a Tennessee team who didn't live up to expectations this year, and they've been on a, a kind of a historic uh, downslide uh, as the season has gone along. So that's not really as good of a win as it would seem. Yeah, and you know, I guess the the one silver lining I take from that is. You know, while things can go one way or another, it takes it doesn't take a, a long time for a team to close the gap. Uh, when you look on the whole, when you look, we talked about early in the season, we did a state of the program uh, podcast. We don't think of it one year; anything can happen. Uh, things can swing; the pendulum can swing in one direction or the other. But um, over a five-year span, Clemson is feels like they're firmly uh, going to win four, if not five, matchups with South Carolina at, at this rate. And what I take from this is when you look at what Muschamp is doing, and credit to him because he's doing a lot. He's been very aggressive on the recruiting trail, um, going in in some head-to-head matchups, recruiting matchups against Clemson, and he's won a few. And you know, credit to him for for um, you know for getting out there. Steve Spurrier didn't do as much when he was uh, kind of uh, wrapping up in Columbia. But the the key thing is, I think we needed to send a statement. Um, both the recruits, but just the state of South Carolina. And I, I feel like there's a little bit of, and, uh, Quacking Tiger alluded to this a little, there's a little bit of trash talk, some disrespect on, on their end, both from the coaches, uh, things are saying to high school coaches and players. And uh, I think it was good to just say, hey, we are number one. And, you know, it, we are number one in the state. And it's going to take a while for you guys to get even close to our level. Well, and I think that's, if it wasn't fairly apparent going into the game and how last season kind of unfolded, I think it's quite apparent now. You know, you know, history shows that that five-year streak was quite the anomaly for the South Carolina program and their dominance over Clemson. It just hasn't happened a lot. You can point to several times where Clemson has won three, four, um, even five in a row. I think the longest win streak that Clemson owns is seven games over South Carolina. And so getting back to our current three-game streak, that's, that's kind of how the this, this series and the history of everything has gone. Clemson has just, in general, been a far superior football school. You know, they, they own the all-time series. Uh, uh, you know, they had the best the, – they own the series lead with, uh, I think, a record of 68-42-4. Uh, that's absolutely dominating. And I know you can kind of – you can't say things will always be the same. Um, it is kind of a lazy argument to say, well, they've always been bad, so they will continue to be bad. But when you really take a look at the things that Clemson has going for them, uh, the facilities are now far superior to South Carolina's. The the coach, I think we could honestly say, I mean, what Dabo has and the culture around the program is far superior to what South Carolina has. And honestly, it's true. There is just a better draw to the to town and college of Clemson than there is to Columbia, South Carolina. And this is something the proof's in the pudding. You know, they're going to have their good years, but over, you know, over time, throughout history, that has always come back to proven to be true. You know, Clemson is a elite football school. South Carolina just isn't. I have to agree, and you go back to kind of the overall record. I mean, I still think every three years, every four years, they could beat us, but I think that's the way it's looking right now. We're, we're probably going to keep continue, or we're going to continue to win at that, at that rate. And you know why? You know why I think it may be different though this time, Cody, is because you know even during the the Tommy West and Ken Hatfield and Tommy Bowden eras, Clemson was winning like three or four in a row, and then South Carolina would win one, and then we'd get back to normal. But things are different now. You know, Dabo is the head coach. Dabo is a better head coach than than Ken Hatfield, Tommy West, and Tommy Bowden. This is a different 
type of thing that Dabo is building. He's building a Danny Ford type of program. And so even in those down years, the down years of Clemson football after the Danny Ford era, uh, you know, we were still beating South Carolina rather handily multiple years in a row. So again, I think it's a different situation because the upside uh, for Clemson right now and the trajectory that this program is on, listen, it's not just going to end this year after Deshaun Watson and Mike Williams and Wayne Gallman and Artavis Scott and, you know, Bid Bulware leave, you know, we're restocking with some of the best recruits in the country. Yeah, we may lose some guys out to, to South Carolina, but those guys aren't our first priority. They're their first priority, but they're our third, fourth, and fifth priority. That, that was exactly my thought. Just to talk a little, about, a little bit about recruiting, uh, and then we can obviously pivot, pivot to the game. The, the, the game has changed since back in the days that you mentioned with Hatfield and, and Bowden, where winning in-state recruiting battles could could shift the momentum in the robbery. Like even as, as late as uh, the early 2000s when South Carolina was performing at a, at a historically high level, uh, and that was an anomaly all in of itself just because of, I think, Jadeveon Clowney. Uh, but that's not the game we're playing anymore. If we were playing the game of in-state recruiting, um, who can pull away, uh, pull away the, the biggest, the most four-star uh, guys, and uh, you know that might shift it. That, it's just not that, that. That's not the game we're playing. We're going into Georgia and the Florida uh, nationally and pulling in five-star guys. So even in the case that they do win these in-state recruiting battles, or Trey Smith, Clemson legacy, who they uh, managed to, to pull away from us. It's not going to have that big of an impact, even though he's a top 100 recruit. There's other guys that are ranked even higher than him you know, waiting at the door to play for Clemson. So you're right. It's it's a different time, different coach. Um, I think Dabo's got us in a good place right now. Yeah, and I hate to be um, you know, looking at this series specifically and looking at the potential for Will Muschamp's success at South Carolina and going back to what I said, I could honestly see him not winning a game against Clemson. I don't think he's their long-term answer as head coach. I give him three or four years there tops, to be honest with you, because I think they're going to be a little impatient, especially coming off of uh, Steve Spurrier's run and the fact that the SEC East is down. But you know, South Carolina isn't just recruiting against other SEC East or other SEC teams anymore. They're recruiting against ACC teams in the region. Uh, in an ACC that is on the rise and an SEC that is on the downfall, not to mention the recruiting against Clemson. I think you overestimate the uh, South Carolina's uh, ability to be okay with mediocrity. Uh, it's not Georgia. I think Kirby Smart, if he continues at his current rate, he's he's gone in like maybe two years, three tops. I, I think Muschamp gets, uh, unless things really hit the hit the bottom, I think he gets four or five years. I think he's got... And if he keeps building and, I guess, bringing in a few recruits here and there, kind of inspiring a little hope, I, I think he gets more of a, a little bit of a longer tenure. Well, we'll see. You know, college football fan bases are very fickle. They're very impatient, um, even if they don't have a history of winning like South Carolina does. And South Carolina, ex- South Carolina fans uh, think that they deserve a top-notch coach and they deserve to win ten year, uh, uh, win ten games a year and. Again, looking back at the history of the program and the trends there, it's 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 probably just not going to happen. So I, w- I would say uh, South Carolina fans born in 1990 or uh, or beyond that think that they should win ten games every year. I think some of the older, long-suffering Gamecock fans kind of know they know the lay of the land. They know how things go. I don't know, Cody. It's a very delusional <laughs> fan base. So <laughs> uh, yeah, that's true. That's um, true. 
So maybe let's turn our attentions to the game itself. You know, we're not going to break down the offense and defense in this game because it was a blowout on both sides of the ball. Honestly, they're lucky uh, to have scored one touchdown, and they're also lucky that we didn't leave the starters in and put up 80 points against them. Um, just what a dominating performance. The, one of the things that just stands out to me is 41 first downs. I mean, that's a ton of first downs. You know, Clemson owned the time of possession, uh, consistently drove the ball down the field. They were like 10 of 15 on third downs, 2 of 2 on fourth downs. The offense was clicking on all cylinders. Um, they had 622 total yards, which I think was the most in the history of this rivalry. Uh, to USC's only 218. I mean, I think I gained more yards on a trip to the bathroom today. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, my my biggest takeaway, like you said, uh, we won't dive into every unit, but I, we really want to see a, a run game. We knew South Carolina had given up. They weren't great against the run. They weren't great in running downs. We established a very solid run game, and, and I think we did it without Deshaun Watson. I think he got three early looks and in, uh, in, in some design runs, but uh, shortly after that, he shut it down. I think he had five carries total. Uh, going back to last year, I think he had 20 carries, so he, we got to do it without the um, throwing him at throwing him into the running running attack where they had to account for another guy. We were able to do that. Uh, just a hat on a hat. Wayne Gallman's coming. We were able to get push, and 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 Gallman was able to get the yards and then some. Yeah, I mean, I don't even think it's like by the time Gallman hit the line, there was a hole about seven to eight yards down the field. I don't even think it was that easy against SC State in my recollection. I mean, the holes were this there all day. There was really no need to run Gallman. Uh, or sorry, to run Watson because the offensive line was getting such a, a great push. Um, and it wasn't just Gallman. You know, C.J. Fuller came in there and had a good day rushing the football. So, you know, I think it, one of the positive signs for this, we know how good a running back Wayne Gallman is. We know he's a bruiser, and he gets in there, he runs hard, and he moves the pile. Um, he's been doing that all year long. I think the difference in this game is their offensive line actually showed up and dominated against, you know, a, a, albeit an inferior South Carolina defensive line. Yeah, for me, I, I'll take it with a grain of salt. I think they were vastly, you know, you, you could just see the talent discrepancy looking in the trenches every play and seeing how far they were getting pushed off the line of scrimmage. But there's a, still an element of, you know, A, we didn't, like you said, we didn't get Deshaun Watson involved. We didn't have to. And B, there's, I think there's a thing of confidence that we need to, something that will inspire a little confidence going forward for our offensive line. And, you know, despite what Dabo may say about what happened against Pittsburgh and an improving offensive line, it seems like they're playing uh, maybe at their best at the best time, of, at, at the right time, I would say. And, and hey, Pollard, uh, freshman, you know, great job backing up for Morgan. And um, it's a good time to get everybody kind of in sync and clicking. And Deshaun Watson will be involved with some more zone reads, some more run pass option type stuff that it's going to make us really, really hard to defend. Yeah, and now actually that we look at ourselves with, um, you know, heading into essentially the postseason uh, for college football, we've got a possibility of three games left max, and we haven't really used Deshaun Watson a lot this year uh, in the running game, so I think that could be a huge weapon moving forward, um, something that's kind of been disguised all year long. You know, obviously Alabama's going to be ready for it because they saw it last year, but let's look at some of these other teams we may be going up against Virginia Tech in the ACC championship game and we win that, whomever we may pull in the first round, whatever big team, 10 team we're likely to pull in the first round of the playoffs. But, you know, Deshaun Watson, not a lot talked about, kind of a banged up knee we're hearing at the beginning of the season. And obviously the shoulder injury coming out of what was it, the Syracuse game? 
it's really right. limited his uh, uh, you know or their willingness to let him run or call runs for him. So, you know, is you know the offense has stumbled a bit this year, um, primarily due to mistakes, uh, whether it be interceptions, fumbles in a few games, and then drop passes. Um, but the trick that we still have up our sleeve is Deshaun Watson's ability to run the football. And it's not something that's gone away from last year. It's just something we either, A, didn't want to use because of his health so far this year, but he's healthy now, um, or B, just didn't need. Right. And I think starting with Virginia Tech, and and I I think starting with Virginia Tech, we'll we'll need to use him. We'll need to get him involved. And... uh, and I, what well, you didn't know that I think Quacking Tiger reported that he had a knee injury at the beginning of the season. Well, you know that makes a lot of stinking sense now that he wasn't running, and good good on them for not running him. But he'll absolutely you you can see you look last year it's about twenty carries or even more uh, in in big time games and elimination games and elimination game start on Saturday against Virginia Tech. Yeah, I mean a large majority of his rushing yards actually came at the end of the season last year, and here we find ourselves at the end of the season heading into obviously the most important games of the season. So we'll see how that plays out. Um, you know, again from from top to bottom, a dominating uh, performance by the offense. On the other side of the ball, there was also a dominating performance by the defense. You know, South Carolina just could really never get anything going in this game. Jake Bentley uh, looked scared during headlights out there at times this is not to say that he's not going to be a, a good quarterback down the road he very may well be a very good quarterback uh, but he was just simply outmatched in this game their offensive line versus our defensive line was outmatched um, the secondary and our linebackers played well there was just nobody on the on South Carolina offensive side of the ball that really was able to outmatch or outman anybody on Clemson's defensive side yeah man you you see, well, you, you mentioned Bentley being scared. I would be, I'd be scared if Dexter Lawrence was running at me too with what would look like to be no blocking at all. He's just running right through the line. Um, Carlos Watkins, Christian Wilkins, uh, so on and so forth. It looked like they weren't even blocked. It was, uh, it, it was bad for, for Bentley. And I don't even, you know, I wouldn't even put too much into his overall performance. I wouldn't put too much stock into it because. Um, you know, he had a lot of pressure. Even when he wasn't getting pressure, we were able to bat down balls. Uh, it was it was a very difficult task for him. Uh, and when you factor in the in the the crowd uh, noise, that I mean, it, tough for a true freshman. So um, yeah, it was a, a dominant performance. There's not much you can say. Carolina doesn't have a great offense. I think their their one play came or their one drive came on a uh, unsportsmanlike that was extended extended the drive. And then, of course, they did a, a fake where it wasn't even Bentley that threw the touchdown. It was was it Samuel, maybe? Debo Samuel, I'm yeah. not sure. Well, and even at, at that point of the game, um, and yeah, that was a pass by Debo Samuel. Even at that point of the game, that was in the third quarter. You know, they they lifted Jake Bentley um, and had Brandon McElwain in there. Um, and I think that was in large part not because they thought you know they still think Jake Bentley's a better quarterback, but. I think just to preserve him, listen, they knew they weren't going to come back in that game. Get McElwain out there, um, get him some reps, and to kind of shield Bentley just from the humiliation and the kind of the mental um, hit that you know a freshman quarterback, true freshman quarterback, might take um, in a game like that. Because I think in the future he is, you know, he is their guy. So. Why expose him to such a beatdown now? Well, equally mentally, equally mentally, and 
and potentially physically because he was going to take a few hits. Uh, and I, I mean, he was he was getting there were a lot of there was a lot of penetration there to say the least. I think uh, the big thing is we saw from the defensive line uh, they have another gear, and I don't want to say that they they don't get up for games. I think they're in a lot of ways they they bring energy and effort more so than just about any unit on the entire team, and that that starts. I think with Christian Wilkins and what he brings, the attitude he brings. But still, I think when they get up for certain games, you look at Louisville, you, you look at South Carolina, they, they have an extra gear they can get to. And when you saw it against Louisville, they were just they were tackling Lamar Jackson before he could even breathe, and they did the same to Bentley. I don't think that necessarily translates against like an Alabama or Ohio State that have a better offensive lines, but I think they're going to be very disruptive, even against high-level competition, including Virginia Tech. Now, as dominant as they were, let's do take this with a grain of salt because there's one thing in particular I want to bring out that really points to how just utterly bad South Carolina is on offense. You know, late in the game where we have you know, third, fourth team scout team guys in there, they still pretty much had their first team offense in there, uh, you know, most likely to avoid any further humiliation. But when a guy like Jarvis Magwood, Kyle Cote, and Connor Prevost get in the game and they aren't, the Gamecocks still aren't able to score, that says something about how bad they are. I've never heard of these guys for Clemson. And they're getting in there and getting playing time, getting tackles. They sound like uh, 19th century art or authors, uh, book writers. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, they're Clemson Tigers in 2016. Uh, no, I, I agree. Um, so maybe you, you, you do take that with a certain grain of salt, but uh, in aggregate, what you see from this team on every level is whenever they get up for games, with it, and again, Louisville, Florida State, and, and go back to Louisville, it was really, in a lot of cases, a lot of, or in, in, it was just really the first half. I think the second half, they kind of took their foot off the gas. It's a team that has a gear that can play right there with Alabama, if not even be better than Alabama. It's just a matter of four quarters. Do they put it yeah, together for four putting quarters? putting it all together at the right time and putting it together for four quarters against an elite team. Um, so, yeah, I mean, again, nothing more to be said about either side of the ball in this game. The offense was dominant. The defense was dominant. This was just overall dominating performance uh, by the Clemson football team. I, I kind of want to wrap this game up. Um, and, and, you know, there was a few, uh, you know, it's a rivalry game. So there's going to be some elevated tensions, elevated tempers, and some bad blood going on between them. You know, we heard of the pregame scuffle. Um, and accusations of racist, racist slurs uh, at the beginning of the game. Um, and then whoever, whichever South Carolina player claimed that, started to step those back as we learned more about it. Um, you know, when I, I originally wanted to talk about, you know, we talk about the culture at Clemson. Uh, I, I kind of wanted to talk about, compare that to the culture of South Carolina and starting that scuffle, taunting the fans um, is rather classless, and I think that's very representative of not all of their fans, not all of their players, not all of the coaches, but time and time again, it's proven to be a large majority of them. Um, but I'm going to pause and stop myself right there because some news came out today of a Clemson, presumably Clemson uh, fan, spray painting 56 to 7 on one of their campus signs, I guess. Um, so I'm not going to dog uh, South Carolina for, for being classless. Because it's proven um, at times that certain Clemson fans can't act the same way. And my plea would be, 
listen, Clemson fans, we are a better football team. We have, we've always have been, we've always been a better football program. And honestly, and maybe I'm just saying that because I graduated from Clemson, but I, I think we're a better academic institution. We should hold ourselves to a higher standards. You know, we're used to winning, act like you've been there before. Don't go spray painting stuff on their signs. Lose with class, win with class. Yeah, come on. It's all South Carolina. I mean, it's not as if uh, the, the two the two fan bases are siloed. They live amongst one another. In a lot of cases, they're family. It's the same people. Uh, you can, you know, we can say that Clemson has a, um, better academics, which I think they do. That's <laughs> pretty... Uh, pretty well-known thing, but for the most part, it's not like South Carolina is some bottom feeder institution. It's the same people. Um, just as we have the good people, the good, the, you know, the class, classy people, we have people like guys that spray paint um, things on the campus at Carolina, and also you have guys trying to steal Howard's Rock. So, uh, yeah, take it for what it's worth. Uh, I don't, I don't want to say we're inherently better on any level. We're just, we're all people, in a lot of cases, people from South Carolina. So, yeah, just represent just represent yourself better than that is all I have to say. You know, don't go out and spray painting, uh, vandalizing other people's property. Um, and so the other thing, let's jump to the other side. Will Muschamp obviously crying about, um, you know, Dabo calling timeouts to take the seniors out. And for me, you know, if I'm a potential recruit, I'm looking at that and be like, man, I really want to play for the guy who calls the timeout uh, in my last game in my in our home stadium and gives the crowd an opportunity to recognize my contribution to the program. And I'd rather play for that guy than the guy that whines about it. Do you have any issues with uh, Dabo doing that? Not at all. It's done in basketball. Uh, it makes a lot of sense. Um, I, frankly, I don't, I don't think you see it that often in football, which is like, oh, you know, we never done it this way, so that, you know, screw, you know, screw this guy. I think that's the wrong attitude to have. I think you should be gracious and even, even in a blowout um, allow a guy to send off his seniors in fashion, allow them to have that standing ovation. Um, and, and if it happens next year, every other year in Carolina, and they want to do the same for their seniors, then by all means do it. But no, I have no issue with it. Um, it's sour. What is it? Sour grapes. Uh, whatever. He, you know, he'll, yeah. he'll get over it. No, they, no, no. He, need, he needs to worry about his own team, uh, preventing them from maybe starting to scuffle at the beginning of the game or, and taunting our student section like I remember, uh, or like I mentioned. Um, right. Yeah, worry about your own team. If you don't want that to happen, then have your team ready to play and focus on the game. Um as opposed to these other things. Yeah, I, I, uh, and I don't want to talk about the racial slurs. I, don't, I have no opinion on it. I do have a, a, a question or, I guess, uh, something that's kind of – I have no idea how this manifested. Uh, before the game, or you, there was a South Carolina player that somehow got involved in, a, I guess, in some, some uh, verbal jabs with a fan and then, and then went back to the locker room and took to Twitter from that point to say that him and another player um, had – Gotten had a certain exchange where racial uh, slurs uh, were passed. I see. I don't understand this. Well, the initial thing that was reported was that a player originally came uh, claimed that a Clemson player um, was the root of the racial slurs, uh, but that he couldn't uh, recall the player's name or his number. Um, well, the numbers on both sides, the names on the back. Um, so once people started, you know, questioning that, oh, then it turned into a fan said it. So, you know, Got that it. that accusation holds no water. So kind of moving on from that, again, going back yeah. to, uh, fair enough. you know, taking a moment to recognize the seniors. I respect Dabo very much for this. You know, you're not rubbing anything in South Carolina's face. Listen, you're recognizing a guy in Deshaun Watson who had a rough upbringing, lived in government housing, 
uh, dealt with his mom battling cancer. A guy like Mike Williams coming back from a broken neck. Wayne Gallman, a three-star guy that people thought was a throw-in for Robert Candice. Uh, Jay Guillermo, a guy who battled depression. Carlos Watkins, a guy that got in a horrific car wreck that took the life of one of his close friends. And then Ben Boulware, the heart of the team, among all the other seniors. Uh, this wasn't about rubbing something in somebody's face. This was about honoring these guys that have given so much to this program and gone through so much in their lives to give back uh, to the Clemson community, the Clemson fan base, and be the face of the program and the university. That's all it's about. It's not about Will Muschamp. Will, Mus Will Muschamp needs to worry about his own damn team. Um, and, you know, let Dabo coach his team because the way Dabo's doing things, it's working out pretty well. Yeah, I think that's well said. It's a great group of seniors. Um, and on the football field, you, know, all, you, you mentioned everything off the football field, which says enough, but they, they, they've been a spectacular, one of the best Clemson recruiting classes, uh, senior classes, I should say, of all time. So let's switch over to talking about the man who is the face of the program right now. Not Dabo Sweeney, but Deshaun Watson, uh, the Clemson quarterback who, you know, we've all fallen in love with um, from the moment he threw that touchdown pass in the Georgia game. Uh, uh, you know, to his run through last year and his amazing performance in the national championship game. Uh, to all the expectations coming into this year and us questioning him a little bit at the beginning of the season and wondering what was wrong with Deshaun Watson. Well, we find ourselves now, uh, the last day of November, uh, Watson is now making a late push for the, for the Heisman Trophy as we start to see Deshaun, uh, uh, sorry, uh, Lamar Jackson start to fall off. Uh, Deshaun Watson, yeah, he may have gotten off to a little slow start, shaking off some rust. He's had trouble all year with interceptions. Uh, but during the month of November... He's completed 114 of 151 passes. That's a 75.5% clip uh, for about 1,300 yards, 12 TDs, and four interceptions. He's 72% pass, uh, completion percentage over the last seven games. Um, and the touch on his deep ball has really improved. Cody, what do you think? You know, we kind of rode him off for dead in the Heisman race, with especially as good as Lamar Jackson was playing. Uh, during the beginning and middle of the season, he has a legitimate shot now, especially with the ACC championship game against Virginia Tech coming up, to win the Heisman. The Heisman, they love a winner. And Lamar Jackson has proven, at least his team has proven, that they're not, they're not going to win. They're not going to be anywhere close to the, the playoff. I don't even think they're going to be in a BCS Bowl um, or one of the major bowls. Uh, they've fizzled uh, the last two games and I think it was a little embarrassing uh, for Lamar Jackson and it rubbed probably a lot of the Heisman voters the wrong way when he did the post and then proceeded to fumble and lose the game. Going For Deshaun, you look at his body of work and you compare it to Lamar Jackson's just in this season, I think it's I think it's hard to say that, uh, that, that Deshaun's had the better year even if he throws for six touchdowns, seven touchdown passes against Virginia Tech because that's just how good Lamar Jackson's been um, in aggregate. But I think when you look at the way that the, the seasons have gone for the two respective teams with one team going, you know, trying to stamp their, their bid in the playoff, um, kind of the lifetime achievement aspect for Deshaun, not, not just as a player, he's been a tremendous player, but, uh, but also as a, as a human, as a, as a student. So I, <laughs> it's funny, I, I would have never said it two weeks ago, but I think if he has a great game, I think I think he's going to win the Heisman. But I hope, but I hope in his mind, I hope he's not thinking about that. I think he's he's great at uh, for the most part of removing distractions. I hope that is not on his mind. But 
I'm telling you, five or six, maybe seven touchdowns, running and throwing, uh, or some combination of the two, and I think it's his. Oh, I think absolutely. Listen, not to take anything away from Lamar Jackson and his performance this year. Listen, he's had one hell of a season. You know, he's got about 3,400 yards passing. He is, uh, his accuracy is lower, much lower, about 10% lower than Deshaun Watson, though his TDs are about the same and he does have less interceptions. Um, and his rushing, listen, 1,500 yards rushing, 21 TDs rushing. That's an amazing stat for a running back, let alone a quarterback. Uh, but let's put it just into perspective. Deshaun or Deshaun Watson has six wins against teams with winning records this year. Lamar Jackson has one. Deshaun Watson ten wins against bowl eligible teams. A win Saturday would make eleven. Uh, four of those wins against ranked teams. Again, a win Saturday would make that five. And that compare that to Lamar Jackson's. It's only seven bowl eligible teams and three ranked teams. So. Yes, Lamar Jackson has put up uh, great stats this year, and he's looked really, really good at times, especially throughout that game against Florida State. An amazing performance. But all the while, Deshaun Watson has very comparable numbers against much tougher opponents. And, of course, head-to-head. And that's something that's a factor. Uh, I mean, it couldn't have gone any wrong the last two weeks, for any more wrong uh, the last two weeks for Lamar Jackson. And I think... I, I think if, if uh, Watson has a good game, we'll say like two, three touchdown passes, maybe one rushing touchdown, I don't think that's enough. But I think if he puts the team on his back and, and, and plays the way, similar to the way he did against North Carolina last year, Oklahoma last year, I think he's taking it home. I think it's his. Yeah, and that's amazing to say um, at this point, given the kind of roller coaster. Um, season that it's been for Clemson such high expectations coming in and when you have expectations set so high it is 99% of the time very very difficult to live up to them Um, and you know Deshaun Watson didn't seem to be having fun at the beginning of the season and admittedly so you know he admitted to that but uh, since he came out and kind of took ownership of things he seemed to play much more loose seemed to be having a lot of fun um, and especially in that South Carolina game, he was he was definitely having a good time. So it's great to see that from him. Um, we're not going to buy into, you know, kind of his words saying that. Well, I don't know if I'm going to leave for the NFL this year. Uh, maybe I'll come back. There's a possibility I can come back for my senior season. Listen, we should all expect for him to be gone. Um, and the only logic and sense I can make out of him saying that is, well, if the Browns get num- the number one pick, which they're going to. Yeah, that's worth coming back is to not get drafted by the Browns because who <laughs> wants to play for the Cleveland Browns? Um, but other than that, I mean, he's gone. Let's let's cherish the last few games we have with him because what an amazing quarterback. Cody, uh, you mentioned it in the last episode. I wasn't there for it, but you mentioned it. He has surpassed Taj Boyd um, for sure, and he's going to go down as the best quarterback in Clemson history. Yeah, I think that title already belongs to him. Um I, I, tend, I tend to disagree with you, though. I think if you had the opportunity to go to Cleveland, hang out with LeBron and Johnny Manziel, I think you'd take that opportunity 10 times out of 10. But, no, but in, in, all, in all reality, <laughs> there's no way. No way he's going. Uh, he's, he's coming back. Um, I think he, enough character there. There's going to be questions about his accuracy and, and the interceptions. But uh, when, you, when they sit down with him in, in the interview and they see what's in between the ears, they see the character – the humility they see face of the franchise and someone's going to take that 
first round pick. I don't know if it's going to be the number one uh, overall pick, but I think it's it's certainly a first round, probably uh, top of the first round type pick. And you just you just don't say no to that. Well, I've seen guys like C.J. Spiller come back when I didn't think they would, and uh, the current face of the franchise for the Cleveland Browns is a guy in the stands with a uh, brown paper bag over his head. So, um, <laughs> again, that's not very enticing. Um, all right, so let's turn our focus now to Virginia Tech. You know, Clemson's going to be playing in the ACC championship game here for a second year in a row. Virginia Tech comes into this game at 9-3, and 6-2 and two in the ACC. They've put together a great season considering – uh, Justin Fuente, it's his first year uh, at the helm of the Virginia Tech Hokies. He won the ACC Coach of the Year. I think that's very deserving given what he's done with that team this year. Um, you know, they've had uh, a questionable loss this year at Syracuse, um, the other two being against Tennessee uh, at a racetrack, and then, of course, against Georgia Tech, which any given day anybody could lose to the triple option. Um, not really many marquee wins this year. You know, their best ones are uh, over North Carolina, Miami, and Pitt. Um, but those are, you know, for the most part, solid teams. Um, although n- nothing really scary uh, looking at their stats um, from both the offensive and defensive sides of the ball. They're 36 in total offense. They're 20th in total defense. So, Cody, what are your initial uh, uh, thoughts uh, about playing the Hokies? Yeah, I think I, I've said it all along, and I hope I'm not uh, eating crow at some point, but I think that it was the better matchup for us. I think they don't quite have the talent on uh, skill positions, um, on offensive, defensive line. Can they beat us? Certainly. They can beat us. At, at Pittsburgh beat us, um, and, and NC State should have beat us. They could beat us if we bring in our, our C minus uh, C performance and they bring in their A, their A game. I just think there's, I, I just don't see that happen. And I think we are better than, them. I think we're two touchdowns, maybe more better than them. And uh, I think there's certain areas like um, on defense, they're, you know, they're the way they defend the run. Um, I think we can establish a run game against them. That, whenever we can build a foundation of our, with our run game, uh, I want that over being able uh, to pass against someone, someone that gives up yardage through passing, uh, passing yardage like Pittsburgh. So I think we have a good uh, kind of entry point to to take over in that game and to establish some dominance from the from the onset. Yeah, and I absolutely agree with you. Listen, there's no reason if Clemson plays their best football um, or even you know 75% of their best football that they should not win this game pretty handily. The only thing, I mean, this is another game. The only thing that really hurt Clemson is that they make mistakes and turn over the ball. Um, otherwise, you know, it, it's a solid football team, but. They're not the best that Clemson is going to see all this year. And Clemson is in at a different level than most every other team in the ACC, aside from a, a down year for Florida State, of course, and then a Louisville team who has looked good at times, uh, or most of the time, but again, against uh, opponents who haven't been of the same caliber uh, that Clemson has faced. So, you know, that being said, I, Clemson should, if they play their best football, win this game rather handily. However, we've seen several times this year where that hasn't been the case. We've seen the turnover bug uh, nip us in the butt and really cause issues. But listen, Clemson has not gone toe-to-toe with a team this year who, on paper, uh, talent-wise, or anything else, uh, is near the level uh, of quality of football team that this Tiger football team is. 
yeah, let me let me pump some sunshine about uh, playing someone that's up to the task or at our talent level. Uh, maybe aside from Florida State in certain spurts, I, I think it's been quite a while where we've gone head-to-head with anyone where we're like, yeah, we can't meet their talent level. I think it dates back to maybe uh, South Carolina from three years ago when they had Clowney uh, and, and Connor Shaw. I just thought we can't beat them because we're not good enough in the trenches, but I haven't had that thought. And again, that's been was that 2013. Now it's it's been quite a while. Um, uh, Alabama might have made a case for that last year. Alabama made a case, but uh, that, <laughs> that was more us pointing the gun at our foot and shooting it off a few times more than uh, their talent level. Well, there you um, go again, Clemson beating itself. Absolutely, and it, for us, there's just a, a quiet confidence I have going into games of significance. I think of Carolina, the game where we just won as a game of significance, uh, its own championship of sorts. And the way we played in bowl games dating back to 2012, the matchup against uh, LSU, Dabo knows how to get the guys ready. I think they're starting to smell blood. They're starting to smell. Uh, they're starting to see the light at the end of the tunnel, the, the championship. Um, and I think they'll get up and play uh, at, at a higher level. And that's all well, I can say. I hope, hopefully that translates into the win. Well, and there is something to be said about there that look at the teams that Clemson has played in bowl games the last several years. Uh, your LSU's, Ohio State, Oklahoma a couple times, Alabama obviously in the national championship game, and all but one of those uh, is a loss. And not to mention the wins over Florida State and the wins over Louisville the last couple of years in conference play. So Clemson's been there. They know how to win big games. Uh, again, uh, you know, obviously, you know, any given day, you know, anything can go wrong. Injuries, turnovers can really neutralize uh, a team's. Uh, ability to dominate uh, an inferior opponent but you know all things being equal we should go into this game feeling fairly confident that Clemson should take care of business listen on both sides of the ball uh, Virginia Tech just can't match up against us let's start with their quarterback listen Gerard Evans I went back and looked at his stats and he's played a lot better this year than than I would have expected and I I really knew going in he's about the same completion percentage near 64% is Deshaun Watson on the year. He's got over 3,000 yards passing, 26 touchdowns to five interceptions. He's got over 700 yards rushing and 18, uh, eight TDs on the ground. Uh, but that being said, there's still not the same caliber of quarterbacks as Deshaun Watson, and, and Virginia Tech hasn't played this, as tough of a schedule. You know, as good as he is, he has a tendency to get off to slow starts, and I think this is where Clemson really needs to set the tune early on with their defense. Um and get into this guy's head, much like they did Bentley in the USC game. His decision-making can be a little slow and, uh, and indecisive at times, especially when he faces pressure in the pocket. So just as it has been all year long, it all starts with the Clemson's defensive line to neutralize uh, their quarterback, not only the passing game, but the running game. He is their team's leading rusher. Yeah, that's, that's a good scouting report, Ben. Um, for me, I'm, I usually love the qualitative analysis. I'm trying to make it a point to uh, pull in more quantitative. So I'm, I'm looking at the numbers and strictly looking at the numbers, S&P ratings. And what's what's crazy and what's a bit of an enigma is they are uh, looking at their offense, 94th in rushing. That's very poor. Rushing and rushing downs have been very poor. However, they're 51st in passing. Not great, but when they're on passing downs, uh, and that's like a third and long, uh, you know, potentially a second and long, they are 17th in the country. So what that tells me is they don't do themselves any favors on early downs, 
and that's an area where we normally can we can smell smell blood and and put you in a, a down and distance. Um, but then they usually make up for it on the long downs. So this is a situation where they haven't seen. You mentioned our defensive line; they have not seen a defensive line like ours. Tennessee, maybe maybe somewhat comparable, but other than that, uh, really nothing close. So I think this is if if we get them, if we can pin them back on on first, second down, uh, get into a down and distance, they're gonna this their quarterback's gonna have to be nearly perfect in order to to beat us and move the change, put points on the board. Yeah, and to be fair, not a lot of teams have seen a defensive line like like Clemson's this year. Um, you know, I think there's two areas. For the most part, uh, we should it should be very hard for them to move the ball on offense. Uh, but I see two areas where they could find success. Again, uh, Gerard Evans is their leading rusher on the year, so there's one. Uh, the second one is Bucky Hodges, their tight end. He's the third leading receiver on the team, 6'7", 245. A tough matchup for anybody, but especially uh, a Clemson linebacker core that has shown pretty big weaknesses in coverage this year. Yeah, it, it'll go back to what we what we, ho- what we hope to see is is better form, better coverage, uh, uh, finding the ball when you're when you're um, in route with your your receiver. It, it it seemed to improve against South Carolina. What I saw from Tank. And Marcus Edmond, I think he's finally getting healthy. I'm going to give him a lot of credit. He looked really good against South Carolina. He's he's small, he's undersized. He he's can't be over a pound over uh, 165, but he does a great job of getting off blocks. So I'm really looking at our cornerbacks. And you mentioned their their standout wide receiver. I'm really looking for them to to pick up their their play, uh, get away from these pi calls, and uh, and see some better man coverage. Cody, did I mention Jarvis Magwood got into that game? Everybody looked good against South Carolina. <laughs> <laughs> it's my favorite writer, Jarvis Magwood. <laughs> um, but, but that being said, again, you know, it's hard to miss a 6'7", 245-pound guy. So there's not going to be loss in coverage. It's just going to be the ability to cover him. Listen, you know coming in that they're going to focus on him, especially with uh, him being their third-leading receiver. And, again, Clipson's uh, proven weakness in that area. So... I think those are going to be a couple focuses. Otherwise, you know, if the defensive line just continues their dominance and gets some pressure on Evans, I think it could be a long night for this offense. And honestly, if Virginia Tech can't score, I know they they historically have a good defense, but the way this Clemson offense is playing right now, they're going to put up some points. I, I just don't see Virginia Tech stopping us. So I think uh, Virginia Tech's offense is going to have to follow suit but, again, I'm going to go back to talent, um, the coaching. I give Brent Bittables the benefit of the doubt in this one. Um, I think it's going to be a hard time. For, uh, Virginia Tech is going to have a hard time moving the ball. Right, right. And, and just as you said, that no team has seen a defensive line quite like ours, you could say something similar for what our offense brings. And no one in the in the ACC Coastal has same you know quite the same offense. Uh, North Carolina maybe to some degree uh, they played that game in a monsoon, so it's hard to it's hard to take too much from that. Um, on their defense defensive side, they're 16th overall in the S and P ratings, rushing 37th, uh, and passing they're sixth. So again, it's a situation where if they're not you know they're not bad. 37th isn't all that bad in defending the rush, but if I would rather a team be better at uh, defending the pass and allow us to 
uh, give it what we got with our run game, and then hopefully we'll find the yards in, in the passing downs. Hopefully that'll open up things. Uh, oh, yeah, absolutely. Because I'll, I mean, I'll take our passing game all day as long as Jordan Watson is being accurate. I'll take that all day, even over the best uh, defending uh, passing defense in college football. But if we're able to establish the run, I, I really think that is a huge benefit and gives us a great advantage. Um, as it has in the games that we've been successful at it all year long. We've been talking about it. We talked about it coming into the season. Clemson needs to be able to establish the run game. We saw it against South Carolina. I'm not sure how much of a difference that made uh, just because we were so much uh, of a better team. Uh, But that will come into play here uh, in the Virginia Tech game. Uh, Listen, uh, Bud Foster likes to to put guys in the box and kind of leave his uh, secondary out there um, in man coverage. Um, although, you know, he has been innovative. They disguise their coverages really well. And, you know, he does have the ability sometimes to pack the box, but still get zone coverage in the secondary. So it'll be interesting to see how that goes. But if we can establish the run, I don't see Virginia tech being able to stop Clemson's passing game. Yeah. It's a pick your, what's always, it's always a pick your poison with Clemson. Uh, you know, Deshaun Watson's going to be involved in the run game. He's going to actively be involved in the run game. So do you put an extra guy in the box? Uh, do you go into man coverage or do you, do, you, do you leave a guy back? And that's a tough call, especially if you watch Mike Williams, you know, drag five, ten receivers five yards to the end zone. You know, what do you do? You, you, man coverage doesn't sound like a smart idea. But, uh, you know, that's the advantage that Clemson has. We, you, you know what's going to come, but you still have a hard time defending it, particularly with guys like Jordan Leggett, Mike Williams, and, of course, uh, Deshaun, Watts, Deshaun Watson's ability to get them the ball. Yeah, so that's one of my keys to the game. You just touched on it was Watson running the ball. I think that could be a huge factor. Um, also, going after uh, their cornerback, Adonis Alexander, in the passing game, you know, a lot of teams have picked on him this year. So, you know, I want to see if he's lined up against a guy like Artavis Scott. I think Scott could have a really big game in this one, um, and that could be a key factor. Listen, you know that throwing it up to Mike Williams is going to be there all day, and Jordan Leggett, we obviously know what he can do. Hunter Renfro, great possession receiver, is going to come up with a big catch. We've, we haven't seen Scott consistently have the uh, amount of receptions per game that he did last year when he was leading the team, but he does have the ability to have breakout games and really dominate. So, I, again... I'm, I'm focusing on that and that matchup, a possible matchup between Alexander at cornerback and Scott in the passing game to see what Scott can do. Yeah, that's a, that's a good candidate uh, for a breakout. I'm interested to see if any new wrinkles um, are unveiled by our offensive coordinators. I think we've seen a few, uh, particularly the, the pass option for run pass option for Deshaun where, where they have, he has the option of rolling out uh, towards Artavis Scott. He can throw it. He can run. That's impossible to defend. They, they unveiled that against South Carolina. I'm curious if we do more stuff like that. Um, we'll have, what, three, potentially three and a half weeks until a potential playoff matchup. Hey, everything you got, um, it's an, it really is an elimination game. If you don't win, you don't go to the playoff. So pull out all the, pull out all this, all the stops, um, all your bag of tricks. Let's, let's see it. And I, I, think, I think there's a few things left that the, the – the and particularly with Deshaun Watson running the ball and the things that they can do and looks that they can show that Bud Foster is great of a defensive coordinator as he is he he has no film on. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right, and that leads us well kind of into our final thoughts, wrapping up um, the South Carolina game and looking forward to the Virginia Tech game. Um, you're right. You know, this is 
at this point in the season, your next game is the biggest game of the year. If you don't win this one, you're probably not in the college football playoffs. So you do kind of have to pull up, pull out all the stops if necessary. You know, we've seen two Clemson teams this year. Um, the team that has played down to its competition, committing mistake after mistake, has kept teams in the game, and in Pitt's case, you know, handed them a win. And then there's the Clemson team that has truly dominated its opponent, uh, whether it be for entire games such as Boston College, Syracuse, and South Carolina, or early on in games uh, such as Louisville, Georgia Tech, and Wake. We've seen a team that's had to hold on for dear life, come from behind, and get honestly get a little lucky at times. We've also seen a team that's shown resiliency, endured a gut check, and fought back when they got knocked down. We've seen a team that's been humbled and one that's responded like a champion. There are two to three games left in this season where we will get to watch a very special bunch of guys. Maybe a group of guys that when we look back will be one of the most memorable in Clemson history, to be honest with you. Win or lose, people enjoy these games. You know, that's what I have to remind myself of, and that's what I was was reminding myself of as I was taking it all in Death Valley for my first game back there in whatever it was, seven years. Um, but don't take this as an indication for me that we should sit here content because I expect we have yet to see the best that this team has to offer this year. I think. Well, I think you're starting to see a, a different level of, of attitude. Uh, guys getting up for games. I, I think that, that feeling of, hey, it's coming to an end uh, and, the, and the focus, uh, it, it kind of starts to take fold. Part of it's injuries. Uh, part of it's just those nagging injuries and, and health will be a big thing. But for this game, um, I, I'm with you. I, I think you're starting to see a team that's that's going to put it all out. Uh, hate to say it, it's such a cliche, but four quarters of, of winning football. And I, I think that's what you see in this game. And I think Virginia Tech can absolutely play with Clemson. And in an in-game situation, if things were to go wrong, they could they could potentially win. But I think if, if, if Clemson's able to put it all together, um, it should be a win, in my opinion, going away. So we'll give you guys our prediction for this game on uh, later in the week uh, on Friday, as we normally do. You can check that out on Twitter or Facebook. Um, so that takes us to our podcast prediction challenge for the season. I get a big win this week, 26 points. With my prediction for the South Carolina game, I had 55-13. to 13. Uh, total for the year, I'm in first place. Tully's right behind, and then Cody, you're you're in dead last, and it doesn't look like you're going to catch up. No comment. You know, for all the crap I get as a is the the resident Clemson homer on this on this podcast, the fact that my predictions are more spot on, that's a good defense for me. Is that telling? If you predict accurately predicted this 2016 season for Clemson, then. You know, good on you because this has been a really tough year to predict. Homer or non-Homer. I honestly really haven't found year. it. I haven't found it to be that hard. Um, okay, let's. Uh, let's <laughs> the competition's not very good. I'll. I'll, I'll admit. <laughs> That's true. Um, okay, let's get around college football here um, as we get into closing out the show. You know, a lot of things going on, but we're now finally getting into the conference championship games, which are. Uh, happening starting this Friday, I believe. A couple going on Friday and then into the weekend. Um, you know, first let's kind of take a look at the a- ACC. The ACC goes three and one against the SEC last weekend. Florida State beat Florida. Georgia Tech beat Georgia. The only loss um, is Louisville's. Uh, you know, to Kentucky. There, as Cody mentioned, on a fumble by uh, 
Lamar Jackson. So another pretty good year for the ACC uh, against the SEC. And uh, as I mentioned before, the SEC, for the most part, is on the, is on the fall while the ACC is on the rise. Hey, no nine-win teams from the SEC this year. Is Alabama that good, or is the SEC just that damn bad? I don't, I don't know. Uh, no nine-win teams other than Alabama. Yeah, aside from Alabama, yeah. Okay. So speaking of the SEC, uh, Alabama did beat Auburn. Uh, a lot of people, even Alabama th- fans, thought Auburn was going to give them a pretty good game and even could possibly win that one. They went 30-12. to 12. It was a close game at halftime, but that sets up Alabama – uh, versus Florida in the SEC championship game. Florida is a team that's been kind of fool's gold for me this year. Uh, again, that whole SEC East is down. I see a dominating performance coming out of Alabama, just as, for the most part, they have been all year long. Yeah, their offense is abysmal. Um, and make no mistake. They, they, uh, I would be, they're going to be hard-pressed to score any points at all against Alabama unless it's, it's from field position they've acquired through their, off, their, um, excuse me, their defense. Their defense is legit. Um, it's, it's probably a top 10, maybe even top 5 defense, but that's not going to be enough. Uh, it's, no way. No way they hang in there against Alabama. Well, and it's Alabama. I mean, the, the sad thing is we really haven't talked a lot about Alabama this year just because they have been playing so well and they have been so good. So they've kind of been flying under the radar. You know, it's good. I'm going to be interested to really diving into uh, um, to their schedule this year and what they've accomplished and then taking in this SEC championship game against Florida because it's obviously that time that we start to uh, take the temperature of this team and see what – you know, we're going to be stacking up against if we do make the playoff. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I will be interested to look in, do it more of a deep dive into, into Alabama. And uh, as of right now, uh, I, I think my eyes are more focused, and we'll, we'll, we'll segue here to Ohio State and everything that's going on in the, in the Big Ten. Um, as much as I, I'll, I'll admit I love watching SEC games, SEC is just not as good as it once was. And this game, this SEC championship game, is it's probably going to have some of the worst ratings that they've had in years. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, I they think they got the 1 o'clock time slot. I mean, when the ACC is getting um, the prime time slot, Clemson versus Virginia Tech, and they announced this a couple of weeks ago, that it, that is pretty telling there. Um, so speaking of the Big Ten, it's like a musical chairs there. Um, so many teams packed there near the top. You know, I count four teams right now that have a shot to make the college football playoff. Ohio State beat Michigan this weekend, which sets up Penn State uh, against Wisconsin in the Big Ten Championship game. Um, you know, that, that's a big game. You know, if Penn State wins that one, then which I don't expect, honestly, is going to happen. I just really don't think they're that good of a football team. Um, but if Penn State wins, I think you have to bump them ahead of Ohio State in the college football rankings going into the playoff. They will at that point, would have owned the head-to-head battle and our conference champions. Wow, it, it's certainly chaos, to say the least. We, well, and it, chaos in a, in a different way than anyone ever would have thought. We thought it would be the beginning of the year. Clemson, Florida State, Michigan, Ohio State, and uh, potentially like a, two SECs like Alabama, LSU, or maybe even Alabama, Tennessee. It has not unfolded that way at all. It's... Penn State, Wisconsin, Big Ten Championship. You talked about Penn State probably losing. I don't know. I, I don't I don't you said Penn State's maybe not that good. I don't think Wisconsin's that good. So I could definitely see Penn State winning this game. I think they will win the game. Um, 
But well, again, I think at, Wisconsin's only losses this year are to Ohio State and Michigan. I mean, most people have them pegged as the best two-loss team in the country, at least leading into last weekend, obviously. You know, Michigan with two losses after their loss to Ohio State. Um, I don't know. Listen, I've got, I've got seven teams listed from the top ten. I've got one through seven whom I think can still make the college football playoff. Um, and that includes those four Big Ten teams that I've talked about. Let's presume that Clemson and Washington, you know, for a minute, win this weekend. That leaves you with one spot to accommodate either Ohio State, Michigan, Wisconsin, and Penn State. I think that certainly leaves Michigan out. So then the question becomes, does the winner of the Wisconsin-Penn State game jump Ohio State? I don't think Wisconsin does, even though they'd be the Big Ten champion because they lost the head-to-head matchup. Ohio State still only has one loss. But I think Penn State has to because Penn State would own the head-to-head win and be the conference champion. I disagree, and let's let's make it something clear—a very clear distinction: what ought to be and what what should be. And I'm just going to talk about what, or I'm sorry, what ought to be and and what will be. I, I think what will happen is Ohio State will be number two. I think that unless Clemson is, I think they're the only one that could potentially jump Ohio State at this point. But, and that, but how that, do you leave? But how do you leave Penn State out if Penn State wins it, the Big Ten and beat Ohio State head to head? I'm not saying you leave them out necessarily, but you, but Ohio State firmly entrenched at, in that number two position. So with, with case, only Clemson capable of jumping them at this point. So in that case, you're saying even with a Washington win in the Pac-12 game versus Colorado Pac-12 championship game. Are you saying that Penn State could possibly jump them, leaving an 11-1 Washington or 12-1 Washington team out? No, no, I don't think so. I think, I think Washington gets in because Colorado is, I believe, is it? Are they top ten? They're they're they're, they're, they're number eight team. Okay, so they're number eight. So if Washington wins, I think they punch their ticket. Ohio State gets in. Forget everything they say, everything you know about conference championships head to head, because that's out the window. And Ohio State. And their resume, which is is, give them credit. It's it's legitimate. It's it's the best the best resume you know aside from Alabama. And I don't even think except for the fact that that except for the fact that that resume includes a loss to Penn State, a good Penn State team, a top right, a legitimate, maybe even a top five Penn State team. And that's why I'm saying Penn State. State, That's why I'm saying Penn State has to jump Ohio State at that point if they win the Big Ten. But they have two losses, and those two losses are one of one of which is a common loss opponent, Pittsburgh, and the other is I don't have it off the top of my head, but uh, not a necessarily a good loss. Well, uh, I guess all that I'm saying that you know I, I value the head-to-head win uh, more than I do the common opponent loss, um, and that that other Penn State loss was to number four Michigan, so they lost to a to a you know <laughs> the same Pitt team that Clemson lost to. They lost to them earlier in the season, and they lost at Michigan. Of course, at Michigan, not a, so not a bad loss. So not a bad loss, or not a bad two-loss team at all. But when you factor in Ohio State only has one loss, and their resume is better, uh, I think they're there. They're there, and does the Ohio State name carry some weight? It certainly carries uh, some money with it, both from from fans and viewership. But uh, but I think more than anything, they. They, they deserved it. I think they earned it. Well, and so we'll 
we'll end this agreeing to disagree because, again, like I said, Penn State would own the head-to-head battle at that point, and they would have the the Big Ten champion. So I don't see how you keep a conference champion and the team that beat the other team head-to-head. I don't see how you keep them out above the other one. Well, it's simple, and I just want to let me keep prodding you a little bit. One more loss. They have two losses. Ohio State has one. Early in the season, though, but doesn't doesn't it? One was. No, they're both early in the season. Shouldn't that be taken into account? Um, how you're playing at the end of the season, not to mention that you beat the other team head to head. That's it. You know what? That's a great argument because Ohio State was the beneficiary of how what have you done lately back in 2014 when they leapfrogged Baylor and TCU after losing to an abysmal Virginia Tech early in that season. You know, ultimately well, going on to win that championship. So great, great counter argument to that. Well, and all this to say that the the Big Ten has the most skin in the game at this point. I mean, there's a scenario where although. Uh, you know, the odds are very low. There is a scenario where you could see three Big Ten teams ultimately get into the playoff. I mean, if, if Washington loses to Colorado and Clemson loses to Virginia Tech, that just opens the door for Ohio State, Michigan, and then the winner of the, the game between Wisconsin and Penn State. So yeah. clearly the playoff uh, selection committee is going to have uh, a, a lot to deal with if, if certain things happen this weekend. Um you know, if things go more according to plan, I think their decision is going to be easier, but it's going to be very interesting to see. Um, So what this does mean is that no matter what happens, the Big 12 is left on the outside looking in. Oklahoma does play Oklahoma State in the de facto Big 12 championship game this weekend, but I really don't see um, a way for either of those teams in. I don't don't think so. I think, yeah, it's, even in a chaos theory, I, I don't see that happening. Let me throw a quick, I know we need to get moving, Quick conspiracy from our our co-host Tully, who's not with us right now. Uh, he he seems to think, and he's saying, you know, everything's driven by the by the dollar, and Alabama is not moving. The one thing we know, even if they lose this weekend, Alabama is not moving from that number one seed. Now, given that, um, they want to get the best regional matchups, the best just overall matchups. He. Uh, he has kind of put to the forefront the kind of the notion that Clemson would slip to number four to get that Chick-fil-A matchup in, in the Georgia Dome. In uh, using a conference championship by, uh, like by a Penn State, for example, to leapfrog them, or a Washington State to leapfrog them. Um, I'm sorry, wa- not Washington State, a Washington beating a top 10 Colorado by virtue of resume leapfrogging Clemson. Now, now you have Washington playing Arizona against Ohio State. Ohio State travels. Washington, that's not such a far drive or far plane ride. You have two Southern teams. I don't think that's yeah. going to happen. That's kind of, it's a lot of moving parts. I don't even know if I articulate it very well. But the main thing is I don't think they can move to number four, but it's an interest, interesting theory nonetheless. No, listen, Clemson wins against Virginia Tech. They are no lower than three. There's no way that they bump into the four position. I don't care. A conspiracy theories and all that i'm i'm not going to be surprised if clemson doesn't move um moves up to the number two position pending the outcome of this week's games um and i can even see with an alabama loss that clemson bumps up to the number one position i can also see an alabama loss where alabama where alabama stays at number one <laughs> they're the only team right now that i think if they lose that they're still in um yeah. they're 12 and 0 losing a conference championship game i don't think it's the end of the world for them they lose. They're still in hell. They lose. They can still be number one. Yeah, in my, in my, it's not my. It's just Tully's theory. It's definitely it's one that's saying the committee's motivated by the dollar, by uh, by revenue and nothing else. 
And for me, I think the only place Clemson can go is probably to number two. Uh, if but in the case, let's say they look horrible against Virginia Tech, a la NC State, they squeak it out, last minute field goal, and and Washington looks great, um, and they would potentially I could see, see them uh, that logic to 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 push them past us. Well, uh, it all remains to be seen. It's going to be a very interesting week uh, for college football for sure, starting this Friday with uh, all the conference championship games. Um, so we'll just have to see how it shakes out. I mean, the main thing is for Clemson, just win, win, win. That's all that matters. You control your own destiny. You're in right now. Just keep winning. You'll be okay. Um, so before we close up the show here today, let's touch a little bit on Clemson basketball. While we were recording this episode, Clemson beat uh, Nebraska tonight in the Big Ten Challenge. They were down for most of the game, actually. Ended up coming back to win 60-58. Uh, to 58. Um, Looking at the stats here, Jerome Blossom had a good game with 15 points, uh, 9 from Dante Grantham. Um, again, I was kind of watching it in the background, going back and forth. But you know, good win at home, coming back. You know, this is coming off of two losses in the Tire Pros Invitational. Um, two close, two tough Close losses against a very good Xavier uh, team and Oklahoma. Um, but then they had a good, tough bounce-back win against High Point. I was actually there for that game. Uh, my first in Little John Coliseum, actually. It was the second game in the newly renovated Little John Coliseum. And i got to say, I'm pretty impressed by the new arena. I didn't even realize it until I left. They actually turned the court 90 degrees. Uh, but I'm uh, really, really excited about uh, what we saw there and what I got to see in that game. It was cool to see the team up close and in person. You know, listen, everybody is saying high point uh, shouldn't have been that close. I was actually impressed by their team. I thought they were a pretty good basketball team. Uh, their only weakness was in the post, and that happens to be our weakness right now. Um, you know, a couple things for, the, for this Clemson team. They've been turning the ball over lately, which needs to stop. Um, and again, we need some help on the post. I think Elijah Thomas, his insertion into the lineup coming up here in December is going to be big. Uh, City Jate has been playing really well, but again, foul trouble has been an issue. He's just not a natural inside presence. Uh, Elijah Thomas coming in, you know, there was issues uh, or concerns about his conditioning. I've seen him in personnel, saw him on the sidelines. He looks good. Can't wait to see him get in there. I think that's really going to bolster. Um, the inside presence of this team and moving forward with the new additions uh avery holmes is playing be better good to see shelton mitchell uh get in there marquise reed has been playing well and gabe devoe where does he come from so a lot to go over here we're going to really dive into this basketball team once we get out of football mode here after the acc championship game um but so far i know it's just a four and two team right now but a lot of exciting things uh looking forward for clemson basketball um, and then finally, one other thing, uh, Clemson soccer, we'd be remiss not to mention this. They're doing well again this year. They have advanced to the Elite Eight with a 3-1 to one victory over Albany this past Sunday at Riggs Field. They now move on to face the number six-seeded Denver team on Friday uh, at 6 p.m. at Riggs Field. If you're living in the area, if you're not too far from, go out there and support uh, your Clemson Tiger soccer team. Again, this it's not just about football or basketball. There's a lot of other good things happening in Clemson sports right now. So get out there and support the Clemson soccer team again, 6 p.m. at Riggs Field. 
there's actually five ACC teams in the Elite Eight, um, so that's pretty amazing. That tells you how good, um, uh, you know, of a competitor this Clemson soccer team is. So get out there, get excited, cheer them on, and let's hope to see them back in the national championship game. So that's all the time we have for today. We will be back at you again with a recap of the ACC championship game. We'll be pulling for a Clemson victory. Listen, Orlando, Florida is not that much further from Charlotte, North Carolina for a lot of you guys. If you can get down there, uh, show your orange pride, outnumber the Virginia Tech fans, and cheer on this Clemson football team. There's a lot of exciting things left to happen in this season should we move on. Um, you know, I know we lost a pit, but I, I see a lot of signs pointing to this team starting to click on all cylinders. So get down and support them um, and, you know, see these seniors off who we've come to know and, and love so dearly as Clemson football players, uh, Clemson students, and just members of our Clemson family. Uh, so until uh, we're back with you uh, sometime after the ACC championship game on Friday, um, as always, go Tigers. What I told them tonight was, listen, we give you scholarships, we give you, uh, you know, stipends and meals and a place to live. We give you nice uniforms. I can't give you guts and I can't give you heart. And tonight, hey, it was BYOG, bring your own guts. And they brought some guts and some heart. And